Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest. In fact, I've been looking forward to talking to this guest all week long. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Tony Cobridis. Did I say it right? Close. Pretty close. Cobridis, yeah. Cobridis. Tony K. Tony yeah, K. I got Tony K in the Tony house. K. Tony, what's going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Jason, how are you, man? Good, good. Hey, Tony, for everybody out there that's watching, listening right now, and kind of don't know a little much about you or kind of how you got started in the industry, I love kicking off these podcasts with a little origin story because I'm always super fascinated, too. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? I love it. It was my lifelong dream not to be in the automotive industry. And when I got out of university, uh, I got to give credit to the Acura store that I started working at because they put out a great ad and it said in big, bold letters, free demo. And I, w- and I said, great. I just, like I said, just got home from university. I was in the US. I came back to Canada. I said, I need a car for the summer. I'll sell some cars. I know the dealerships are busy. And then come the fall, when everyone goes back to school, I'll find a real job. Um, and 25 years later, uh, I am still yet a lot happier in the automotive industry. So it was, uh, I, I'll give you guys that ad if anyone's looking to add some salespeople because it, it works really well. That's awesome. That's actually a pretty good strategy. You know, I, I think, you know, but like most people get, that get into the business, we always kind of had some type of like carrot dangled in front of us, right? Um, I'll, say, I'll say it was, it, I, I will say there was one other thing. It did say looking for university educated people to change the way that, you know, people look at car dealers. And then in big, bold letters, the free demo. So the university part was good. I think the free demo was the was the hook that got me, though. That's cool. That's actually a good strategy. I like that. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. Um, boy, we have some really cool topics. We got some time to kind of chat a little bit before I hit the record button. And uh, I think we have some really fun topics. So what I want to kick off is kind of our first conversation today around lead management best practices, which we had a, both a good giggle about this because the fact that we're still talking about this. And it is 20. 20- 21 and we're going into 2022 it it feels like inventory pictures on your website conversation that we had for a decade it feels like this conversation has been happening for almost a decade uh but i think we're getting towards the tail end of really identifying of how you should properly manage you know these quote-unquote leads which by the way i hate that word anyways Um, but i know you got some thoughts and opinions on this so so when you know when you hear lead management best practices you know, what, what comes to your mind first? You know, it's funny. I started lead management training and I want to say it was like in 05, 06. So it's been a little bit, it's been what, 15 years that we've been having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And the big part of it is it's, it's about like anything else. It's having a strategy, having a, a process, but understanding what, what's your goal. So when a lead comes in, be it, you know, on the phone or email or, or whatever else, a chat, it's kind of understanding what's your goal. Mm-hmm. So if you think, hey, I'm going to get in, let's, let's use email leads because they're the most common, I guess, that we talk about. You get an email lead. If you're if you're thinking you're going to go from email lead to sale in one step, you <laughs> probably don't have the right process in place, right? You have to understand what's the goal, your first goal. Well, it's to get them to communicate back with you. So the things that you do in that first step need to encourage that action that you want. 
So if the action is, I want them to reply back to me, well, then give them a reason to reply back to you. And then you can go through the other steps, which is, you know, have a conversation, set an appointment, have the appointment show up, you know, and then, and then once you get them, then you sell them the car. Obviously, I think everyone knows how to do the last step. It's understanding though, that that first step is communicate. How do I open up a line of communication, right? So obviously there's some things that you can do. Answer the question that they've typically asked you in, again, (laughs) I'm using email as the example, but it's funny. I do a lot of mystery shops and I ask a very specific question in every single one and very few of them actually answer the question. The other part is, is give me options because how many times am I 100% on that one specific, you know, stock number one, two, three, four, five, and I won't look at anything else. Well, the data tells us almost never, right? Mm -hmm. They're always open to a different one, a different model, a different option here, a color there. So give some of those options and let them know we're here to help you find the perfect vehicle for you. We've got tons of options. Well, now what did you do? Well, you gave yourself the best chance at having a conversation, you know, instead of saying, Oh, you know, I told them to come in. They never responded. There's a bad lead. Yep. That's common, but let's, let's get away from that. Especially now, right? When inventory isn't at its highest and you can spend the time to do it, do it right. Now's the time to put in these kind of processes and procedures because you should be probably not getting as many right now. Well, there's no so excuses, should, right? Yeah, there's I no excuses. Yeah, come on. Yeah, like, there's, there's no, no excuses. Excuse. Exactly. Like, you have the time. In the past, it's always been, um, I got to use a template because we have so much coming in that I need to do. Now, I don't know how you feel about templates. I don't mind templating the structure of a conversation. I got a lot of issues templating the language of the conversation, but hey, some people can disagree with me. If you do, I, I, you I stop like, listening to I the like, podcast. I like templates. <laughs> I like templates. Well, I just, the second you said template, my blood started to boil. I know, right? Uh, because I, I love and I hate templates mm-hmm. because I like them because I've seen people responding from their, from their phone and they can't spell one word correctly. And that's just, <laughs> and that doesn't look good, right? So there's a there's a usefulness to a template as long as it's a customizable template that you actually customize. Because I've also seen templates that said, you know, insert name here. Oh yeah, that's, that's a classic. That's not, that's not a good look either. But I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier is kind of intent and goal, right? Like really what is the intention that you have behind um, in the communication that's going out, right? If your intention is just to sell them a car, you're missing a lot of steps in between there, right? If your intention is to create a meaningful connection and actually have a bloody conversation, then the way that you communicate changes a lot. But you're 100% right. Like it, it all starts with what the dealerships define, you know, goals are. And unfortunately, I still think there are a fair amount of dealerships out there where the goal is just simply just to sell a car, not to actually have a conversation. Now, but then I also think, you know, with technology today, like there's no excuse on to have a conversation. You know, I, I get the excuse from dealerships to go, well, you know, I gotta be honest with you, Jason, like you should see some of my staff and the way that they type, you know, like for them to actually try to like hold a conversation back and forth online is probably not going to happen. But it's like, okay, we've been using that excuse for a long time. Like enough's enough. Right. Um, have them, have them send them a bloody video. If they suck at that in fact, it will take them less time to record a video they, response speak? than it will yeah. to this. Can, right. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you, if what do you they, say? They, what do you say when people make the excuse? What, 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 what do you say to them? Uh, you know what? I say the exact same thing. I say one, you need to, that's why you use a template just to give them limited things that they need to change, mm-hmm. but still sound professional and give the information. Or two mm-hmm. is you're absolutely right. If it takes them 15 minutes to write a proper email because, Hey, they, they, you know, they struggle with that. 
Well, it probably takes them the same amount of time to do a quick video, five minute walk around. Hey, you were interested in this car. Here it is. And do a quick little walk around. Here's a couple of really cool features. When are you available to discuss this any further, you know, and come in, you know, whatever those questions are, again, depending on what your goal is. And then just take a shot of the dealership and be like, and look, we've got 50, 175, you know, we're part of a group that has 20 dealerships and 10,000 pieces of inventory. So if this isn't the perfect vehicle for you, I'm sure that we can find the right one for you. Please contact me to find out more. So, you know, I like well, that because in that language, all right, you, the language that you used right now, the words you use kind of shows, you know, the intent to want to serve someone. Right. And I find that, I mean, I, I'm like, you. I, I end up doing a lot of mystery shopping and I gotta be honest with you, man, I would say less than 10%, less than 10% of the response I get back have any type of language around the intent to actually want to serve someone where I find that almost all the, all of the email replies I get are in the intent to, I need to get information from you before I give you any information. Right. All right. Yes, let's, common. let's talk a little bit about that. How can dealerships change their templates or let's say their language to be more of a intent to serve someone versus just an intent to get information. Shop for something else yeah. or mystery or mystery shop another store, because just think about your shopping behavior and every car person, every, every salesperson for that matter has bought something else. So just kind of take it into your hands and say, okay, if I were to, you know, I'm looking to buy anything, a, a cottage, and sure. reach out to someone. And if the first thing they said to you was, well, tell me about the house that you're selling and tell me about, you know, the car that you drive and how much income you make. And, you know, when you'd be available, when you're looking to buy that, this cottage, mm -hmm. what would your, what would your reaction be? You'd be like, whoa, hold on. I, I, I'm asking you questions. You're, you're selling me a product. And so if that's the reaction you have, then change your language. Think of, of it from the consumer side. And like I said, you can still do both. You can still ask them questions, but just remember, just give, right? As much as you're getting. So it's fair to ask them a question if you've answered a question. It's fair to ask them a question if you've given information. There's nothing wrong with that. But just again, what is the goal of that first conversation? It's to start a, you know, a dialogue. And, and if you're just asking, asking a bunch of questions and they feel like they're being interrogated, that's not starting a dialogue. People tend to clam up if you do that. And, and, you know, I want to go back to something because we touched on it briefly, but mm -hmm. now, now's the time to do it because I understand inventory is low, lower than, you know, than usual. Grosses are higher than usual. And you, you typically have more than one person who's looking to buy a specific vehicle on your lot. So it might be, you know, a, a bad opportunity where you start getting into bad habits. The problem I have there is if you start getting into these bad habits and then they become routine, when inventory does eventually come back and you now have cars and you need to get back into the kind of a customer-centric sales process, you have all these really bad habits. So I encourage people to say, hey, now is the time to, even though I know I've got 10 people on that car and I'm going to make the most gross on it or that vehicle, I shouldn't say car, um, now's the time to let me put those really good processes in place. So those become habit. So yep. then when we become busier and there's more inventory and we have to do this, you know, more often every day, the good habits are the ones that you fall back on. Yeah. It's, it sounds like dealers need to kind of look at this as a value exchange. Like, yeah. look, the, 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 the client or the potential customer, all right, has value and I need to exchange something so that we can have this constant back and forth. I find, I find too often that the value exchange in our communication is so heavy for the dealership and so light 
for the client. And then I get, you know, why don't people respond back to me? What, what I send out, I get a hundred leads and 70 of them never even communicate back to them. And it's like, well, what the hell were you providing them in the form of value? Uh, you know, when I say that, when it, what, what comes to mind uh, to you that are solid dealer value statements that encourage good conversations? Well, let me, okay, I'll start with the, I was gonna start with the negative, but let me start with the positive. So good, because <laughs> the negative ones are easy. Because like I said, when you do mystery shops, you see them all. Yeah. Um, but good communication is, you know, how can I serve you? What are the things that you're looking for? What is it important in, in your buying process? How, you know, those, those are okay questions. But I, again, like I said, it's, here's the vehicle that you inquired about. Here's the, you know, answering the question. I'm going back to this and I hate to use the term going back to basics, but mm-hmm. these are kind of the one-on-ones, right? It's answer their question, give them information, let them know a couple of other options. You know, if you haven't, uh, there's ways where you can actually have the data and see what other vehicles they're looking at. Or if it's in your database, if maybe they've sent in a lead on a different car, um, you can then say, Hey, here's some other similar vehicles that other people have looked at. Like those types of things are important because Again, you're you're trying to just get them to communicate with you, and you know I hate this because it sounds cliche, but you're trying to be you know their guy or their girl in the auto industry, right? You're trying to be that trusted advisor that's there to help them, and 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 I you know again I'm going to go back on this. I know it's hard right now because you're saying, hey, there's five people who are do, looking for the same car, but now's the time because if you set it up right today, in three months, six months, nine months, a year from now, when inventory is back where it should be. Well, now the people are now talking about say, Hey, you know what? I, I paid a premium during COVID, but I needed a car and I knew I paid the premium, yeah. but man, I got such good customer service. They treated me so well. They made sure it was the right car for me. They asked me about, you know, questions about my lifestyle and how I'd be using the car and just to ensure that this was, you know, the, the right vehicle for me. And, you know, if I ever buy a car again, and I tell all my friends, that's where I'm going. Well, no, well, no, those are the good things point. that but you, you said do. trust. That's the, that's the key word, right? Is, is, yeah. is getting them to trust. And so I get this a lot, right? I'm like, Hey, you just have to get your, your, your leads. I hate that word. Um, to trust you so that you guys can continue this conversation. And they're right. like, well, I can't get my leads to trust me. I'm like, but, but what are you giving them? Like to get to the place of trust, there needs to be kind of an exchange of value. And look, 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 customers right now, uh, value, well, they value a bunch of different things, but you know, let's talk about the core values, right? We value our time, we value our money, and of course, we value our convenience. So, you know, I think dealers out there in their communication efforts need to make it a goal um, in the, what they're saying, all right, to identify which one of these value propositions that they can actually execute on. Like, you know, am I actually going to save you money right now? Maybe not. Probably not. Probably not. So let's not include that, right? All right. Are there ways that you can save me time? I'm sure that there are ways you can save me time. All right. Almost and everybody that, has some type of virtual process, right? whether it's, hey, you can do your credit app. You can do, you know, this information. We can deliver the carts, you know, the vehicle to your house. Convenience. Here, yeah. here are some options to help you save some time or to make it more convenient for you. Let me know, you know, check the boxes. Let me know which ones would be important to you because we're trying to give you the best possible experience. See, now that sounds like a conversation I want to get into, right? Yeah. Because the conversation sounds more or is based more around how uh, the dealer can provide me the customer value versus some of the other questions that we see out there. Like what kind of car are you driving and who's the primary driver? And is this going to like, I, I hate to say it, but you probably, <laughs> as mystery shops, you know, what's the most common response? When are you available to come in? 
Exactly. It's still the most common question. And and there's a time and place for that, right? You do need to ask for the appointment. You do need to ask for the sale, but you have to have first built that value. I always, the way I always train, whether it was when I was in dealership, you know, training my, my staff or outside as a consultant training, I'd always say this, have you earned the right to ask for that business? Have you earned the exactly. right to ask for that appointment? And if you have, if you feel confident, if you could say, yes, I've given value, I've given information, I've, you know, customized something specific for them. And yes, I have go right ahead. But if that's your first response, I doubt that you've done that. I doubt that you've done that so far. I'm with you. It's that value exchange, but I actually think this is a, a great segue kind of into our next conversation because look, lead management is, is probably more important now than it ever has been. Look, it's always been important. So I'm not trying to do this, but, no, no, but it, it's become more important. All right. Just because uh, the pandemic, like it's just, if I hate identifying a silver lining, but if there's a silver lining, it has forced our industry to really take all a serious hard look on how we communicate with customers and what we say and you know, what are some of those best practices. But then with that said though, um, so much of this happening online or over the phone or via text message, you know, what does the, the physical dealership, you know, how much weight does the physical dealership kind of play on this? And this conversation comes up because I was recently, uh, recently just talking to a client of mine who has to reinvest in, in, in a remodel. And we're not just talking like a light remodel, not a facelift. We're talking like a, a full blown, break it down to the foundation, rebuild the, the bloody thing, remodel, right? And, it, you know, we're talking north of 12 to $16 million, all right, for this, for this type of remodel. And, we're sitting there kind of having this conversation and it's required by the OEM and it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's in the process. Right. But is it really necessary? And I, so that, that kind of, this is my question then for you, you know, what do you see the future of the physical dealership and how much weight does that really have on a customer's decision to do business with that dealership? $12 million is steep, it's uh, a but, lot, but, but I, but I get it that, you know, the OEM puts on certain, kind of criteria that you have to follow, but let's be honest, we've started to build, right? I remember I started in a, I think it was a two or three car showroom Mm -hmm. and that turned into a 20 and then a 25 and, and, you know, dealerships keep getting bigger and bigger, but do you need that much space in today's kind of age? We're going, what COVID did was really just accelerate what was already happening, right? Because if you look South of the border, the, the Carvanas and the auto maxes and those types of things, they were already there. We're starting to see that now here as well. So there's an online experience. You know, listen, for a year and a half, I was locked in my house as most of us were. <laughs> yeah. And what was at my door every single day? A box from Amazon, right? <laughs> we've, we've become this kind of culture of we shop online. So now is the car buying experience going to go full online for everyone? No, there's still a need for dealers. There's still a need for service centers. There's still a need for used cars. You're still going to want to have a lot to park them. And it's interesting because to your question, I think the direction we should be going is into these smaller dealerships, maybe with a little bit more parking, maybe with a bigger service department, mm-hmm. um, because that's really, let's make it something that customers will feel comfortable coming into a more intimate experience. So that being said, you know, do customers do the, does the buying public want to come into these big, huge dealerships and think, Oh my God, am I paying a premium for this? Yeah, good do point. dealers want to spend to your point to your friend who's with $12 million on a dealership, unless you're finding other revenue now, right? Like there's, there's some dealers that, you know, have done, you know, yoga classes and uh, the upstairs uh, 
where the offices typically are, they rent it out for people who need like office space, you know, just to sit at a computer and talk about, yeah, if it's become a revenue generator, Hey, there's lots of options. You can go there. But other than that, I think the trend should be to go back to a little bit of a smaller dealer. Like I said, increase your parking. Cause just think about every dealer. What's always the biggest concern. I remember I was like the parking, you know, lieutenant (laughs) standing out there directing people can't park there. Yeah. You can park here. Oh, we got to be careful. Every, you know, every car was double parked that, you know, Maybe that, maybe we look at that experience a little bit more. Just think about how frustrated you are at Christmas when you're trying to park at the mall. 100%. Is that, is that the first impression you want to give someone who shows up at your store? So I would say, I hope that that's the direction we're going in is understanding more of this stuff could be done online. You know, if they're doing credit apps, if they're doing trade appraisals, if they're doing those things online, working out their payments, well, maybe they don't need to spend three, four hours at the store, which makes the consumer happy. And which means, hey, maybe you don't need such a big, Let's be honest. When COVID hit, what was the best thing that happened for dealers, in my opinion? They, they had to go to an appointment mentality. They had to go appointment-based. Yep. And what do we all know? You close more, a higher percentage of appointments than you do walk-ins. And it creates a better so experience. It, yeah, because you're pr- typically, if you have an appointment, the car is prepped, it's cleaned, it's gas for a test drive, it's you know sitting in the front row, looking all shiny and nice. The person comes in, the salesperson greets them. Hello, Mr. Smith. Welcome to ABC Motors. I have the um, 2021 Nissan Altima that you inquired about. Uh, I also, just so you know, have, I know you said you weren't sure whether you like the silver or maybe go crazy and get the blue one. So I have both ready for you to test drive. I just need this, that, and the other. Here, let's go do that. Wow, what what a great experience versus, hey, how are you? What are you looking for? I don't know, a Nissan. Okay, give me 20 minutes to find a set of keys to go on a test drive, right? That still happens. Exactly. And and that's that shopping process. And we know, all right, that a a much bigger portion of the shopping process is happening now online and a lot less of the transaction is happening online. Then it gets to the dealership and then it's the physical building. Like really, what is the purpose of the physical building? I I love your idea about going to the smaller one. Look, we've seen a lot of manufacturers be totally cool with this in the UK and it's worked out really, really well from them. But they were actually forced to because there's just literally no land. <laughs> there's nowhere to go, right? Well, so depending on what part of the it. city and you might not have any land, but yes. There's yes. That, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, but then also, if you are going to have these monstrosities, these Taj Mahals of hundreds and thousands of square feet of space, then then, then what do you really do with it? You know, I mean, yeah. I remember, like, how easy is it to, I, I remember how easy it was to sell the car off the showroom floor. Right. Because that's the cleanest looking car you're going to have on your lot. Right. It is in a temperature controlled environment. All right. And it's just it, it is it's been waxed. It is just the best looking thing in the world. Right. So if we were just to go to a smaller showroom, but then focus on being in a, an appointment based business. All right. We can have whatever that vehicle is in that showroom environment. And I. Honestly, I think it's just a better experience. I, I don't think that the customer requires that much square footage anymore. And to your point, because you mentioned it earlier, it's like, if it is that big, is there a thought going through the customer's mind of going, gosh, how much is this costing? You know, yeah. am, I pay, now, am now, I paying this price because of that? Now, for those that have already built these big, you know, these big Taj Mahals, as you call them, that's okay. They're there. You've spent the money now, but are you utilizing the space? And what I mean by that is I said other sources of income, but for example, we talked about having, you know, like cafes and diners. It's interesting because a lot of dealerships have them, 
but is it part of your sales process? In most cases, it's not. It's, you know, hey, if the customer wants one or if the salesperson is hungry at lunch so they don't have to go out somewhere, they can, you know, purchase here. Yep. Techs, techs love it because they can get a, you know, sandwich and eat and they don't have to go out. But is it part of your process? Are you using... Okay, I'm gonna, I, I think I told you this, but I'll, I'll share it again. Deloitte did a survey of, I, it was between, tw- I think 2,500 Canadian car buyers. And they asked them a series of questions. And they asked about, you know, these cafes that the dealerships have and how, you know, did it influence them wanting to do business there? Only 1% said yes. Yep. 1%. So why isn't it important to them? Well, because they're not there to eat, right? They're there to go through a process and buy a car, which you know, can be stressful. Well, instead of doing it that way, because you didn't make it part of your process, how about making it part of your process and doing what it's really meant there to do? And what is a cafe, you know, a coffee, you know, an espresso, what is it there to do? It's not to give them, uh, you know, a snack or to give them a drink. It's to give value so that they can give you time. The most valuable asset you can get is time. So while you say, Hey, let's, let's go have that pastrami and rye, or let me make you this handmade espresso from this, you know, million dollar machine that we have. What are you doing? You're building rapport. You're talking to the customer. You're getting to know them. You're telling them a story about how either this cafe, you know, became part of the dealership's uh, process or where this massive, you know, brass espresso machine came from, whatever the story is. And then you're asking them questions just like anything else. And so now you're having a conversation. You're getting to know them. What is this all doing? One, it's giving you time, which is valuable. But two, the trust comes with relationship. So you're building a relationship. Well, now that's part of your process. It's not just something that sits in the corner that, you know, maybe we can make 50 bucks from. It's a, you know, it's like in a regular office, you know, look, it's the it, water it's cooler intention. conversation. It, it, look, it's showing intention, right? Yeah. Like, like, what is the intention behind having the coffee there? And what is the intention, you know, behind having the cafe there? You know, um, you know, you add these extra things into the dealerships and, and, and to your point, look, look, most of these things, they're just sitting there. All right. There's no story behind them. There's no time spent on them. It's just like, if you want a coffee, it's over there, push this button, push that button. There it is. You know, we got a little time to talk about this before we start recording today. I was kind of telling you about this special machine that I had, you know, at, at my dealership that um, was not automated. You actually had to take the time and, and actually grind the beans and actually yeah, put beautiful. the espresso into it, compress it, get it in there and actually make it, it, it actually took time, but it, it slowed it down so they can actually have a conversation. Right. And they didn't have to talk. Like I actually preferred my team talking less about the car because they're already there to talk about the car. It's get it. Like, but have a conversation, you know, it, like, actually get, I'll interrupt you and tell you I, my first, my first month in the car business. Yeah. I'm not embarrassed to say this. I, I know all the details because one, I started on April 1st, right? So everyone makes a joke about that because I started on April Fool's Day. In that month of April, I sold one car. And I was very fortunate because I had a salesperson, you know, who was the top salesperson at the dealership kind of take me under his wing. Mm-hmm. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I said, I don't know. He goes, you should be doing better. You're, you're, you're very, you know, approachable. We always have really good conversations with you. Everyone at the dealership likes you. But your problem is all you're doing, you're spending two hours talking about, you know, you've memorized the brochure and you're talking about all the stats and the weights and the uh, drag coefficient and, you know, the fuel consumption. And don't get me wrong. Those things are important to know, especially if someone asks you or if it's important to them. But you you haven't talked one bit about them or you. And I said, well, because I'm here to talk about the car. Like, no, they're not buying the car. They're buying you. 
And I changed up what I did. And I just started having conversations with people. And guess what happened? Oh, all of a sudden I was selling a bunch of cars to the point where he said, Hey, slow down. You're going to pass me here. And I want to be the top sales guy, but probably conversation for another day. So it was, it was that relationship. And then the second part of that, so it's buying you time. It's built, building that relationship. And the second part of that, which we talked about earlier was what is the story behind either, like I said, your cafe, your coffee machine, your sandwich, right? Like you said, Hey, you should, there should be a sandwich named after the dealership, right? And it should be more about its physical appearance than even its taste, right? Because how, you want how fun something is that, right? that, yeah, you want That's something say, that like, people... You can have fun. Look, you got yeah. a coffee machine there and you're going to be doing sandwiches or you're going to be doing something else. Like, like uh, do, do it with the intent to have fun or to enhance, look, to do it with the, in, the intent to enhance the experience, right? Like, um, here, I'll give you a funny one because this is always funny, right? If you ever get the chance to fly business class or, or first class, all right, what is one of the things that when people ask you about it, you just immediately go to talk about? And it's the food, the meal, right? And look, face it, it's not that great. All right, it really isn't, right? But it's just the way that it's presented and the fact that you're getting you're getting the story kind of behind it. It's like, okay, I paid for, I paid, I paid for this premium ticket, this premium experience. And this is what we define to be that premium experience, right? Look, if, um, if, if it never was a premium, if it was never presented in a premium way, then it would have never felt that way. And that's what the coffee machines are right now. Right? <laughs> like these coffee machines aren't cheap, by the way. Like, you know, the you, last you, time you, I bought you, one, you, they're like $10,000 for, for a decent one. <laughs> That's right. It didn't, you got to buy a used one. I think you can get a oh, good yeah, deal. That's true. <laughs> it's interesting. I didn't think about this, this story when we were talking about this earlier, but it just popped into my head when you use that example. I went to, I don't know if you've been, I think it's called Martha's. I think mm-hmm. it's called Martha's. Mm-hmm. It's, on, it's in Maui. So I was fortunate enough, Hawaii was part of my territory once upon a time. So cool I got to go there quite a bit. <laughs> so someone said, oh, if you go next time you're in Maui, you have to go to Martha's. I said, okay, it's a fish place right on the beach. So obviously it's a nice scenic view, whatever. And so they give me a menu and it's a handwritten menu on a piece of paper. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you, I don't remember if the fish actually was even that good, but what I do remember, and I tell everyone the story, Oh, when you go there, you have to go to Martha's. It's that it was handwritten and it said, okay, you know, one of your options is as an example, Mahi Mahi. It was caught by Otani at seven 20 this morning or five 13 ah. this morning and then brought here. And, and this is how we made it. Right. So they would handwrite how they made it, who caught it at, at what time. Man, I took a picture of that mahi-mahi and I was like, this is the best mahi-mahi ever. I hadn't even taken a bite yet. It was already the best mahi-mahi I ever took. I, so those are the things that, right, that story that, you know, how, how that you remember that experience, that's just as important as the experience. And, and I think dealerships right now, all right, they got a little extra time in their hands, or at least they should. Um, and But even if they didn't, they should still be doing this. No. So they should be defining what these little additional stories are within yeah. their operations. You know, I think yeah, too, that, off, too the often the story is only about the car and the car only. And it's like, no, it goes way, way deeper than that. And I know we started off this topic around coffee and sandwiches and, you know, and now it's gone to, you know, well, really what does a coffee and sandwich mean? It's the story behind it. And it's just additional ways to connect and create a better experience. But you had mentioned something earlier, kind of when we were talking about the physical dealership and I want to kind of, kind of, segue back to this because I thought it was super cool is we were kind of talking about if I had this additional space, you start talking about some community stuff, which, which I think was great because it's a total a great segue into this, into the next question I want to talk to you with is, you know, how can dealers 
uh, be in the community rather than being a part of the community too often because this just recently happened. I was at a dealership first time. So it's a little meet and greet, you know, have a little coffee, have meet, meet, greet, and greet each other and talk a little bit about each other. And of course, you know, he had these pictures all along this wall of all these, you know, sports teams, mm-hmm. peewee teams or basketball teams or whatever teams that he sponsored. And he was super proud of it, right? I said, that's cool. That's cool. So what else do you do? And there wasn't any other conversation about what else he did. That was just, that's just what he did. I, but, I'm in but the community. I'm donating to the hockey that, that's, team. That's a key. That was, it was just in the community, but there's more there. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on it. So there is, it's, it's really good point because there's a distinct, distinct difference be, between being in the community and being part of the community. So this is the example I gave you, so I'll share it. So in, in the, one of the dealerships I ran in Arizona, we did two really, I think, different things that I, I haven't seen done anywhere else. And one of them was we, we, there was a mall close by. We put a vehicle in the middle of the mall. We put a bunch of uh, Christmas ornaments in it. Mm-hmm. And, we had, and we had people just, hey, send us a text. It cost you 50 cents. Send us a text, put, you know, guess how many uh, balls are in there. And if anyone gets it right or how everybody, whoever gets it right, will be put into a draw to win that car. And the fee was split between us and the phone company. And we actually paid for the car five times over. So it was, a, there was really no expense to do it. Um, but it showed the community, oh my God, these guys are always giving away free cars because Hey, and, and we're in the mall. We were in the community. We had people standing there. They were giving out candy canes. There's like, it was a whole kind of production to say, Hey, we're not just, you know, listen, it's not bad to sponsor the local hockey team or baseball team or whatever. It's, it's good. They need sponsorship. Um, But what did that do to help the community? And so from that, we said, what more can we do? So it's great to give away a car. It's great to, you know, give out candy canes and, you know, Santa hats and those things. What more can we do? So one of the issues with the local high school was attendance. Mm. So, you know, we had conversations with, as we we're you know, trying to figure out what to do in the community. And they said, look, our students just aren't, it's Arizona. It's the weather's beautiful. The kids want to go out and, you know, they don't want to sit in a classroom. I get it. <laughs> I, I would have done the same. And so we said, okay, well, what can we do to encourage, you know, the, the students to show up more? And we sat down with student council and we had a conversation. We said, okay, we're going to get, let's, you know, we're big on giving away cars. So we're going to give a car away to anyone if, if they get perfect attendance. And yeah. the same type of deal. If there's, if there's 20 people that get perfect attendance, we will put them into a draw, right? We're, we're going to give away a free car. The car is plastered with the dealership's name on the side. It would go to all the basketball games, all the football games. It was parked outside. You know, win this. And, and the, the exchange was That's student council cool. would then come to the dealer on Saturday and we, you know, those silly signs, they would spin out on the road and say, Hey, come in for the best deals. Right. And so at the end of the year, the first year, there was one student that had perfect attendance. So we invited everybody to come in. We did like a big, you know, kind of event and gave him the keys to his brand new car. The second year it was, tw- I think 23 or 25 students had perfect attendance. The third year was 68. The fourth year was a hundred and uh, no, actually I think it was 237. What else happened with that? Well, one, guess what? All the student council parents were there dropping their kids off every Saturday. Yes, so when they had a question about a car, where did they come? They came to us. If their car needed service, what did they do? Oh, they came to us. Uh, when they needed to buy a car, obviously they would just end up coming to us. Yep. And so now the community is now talking about, wow, you know, these guys are actually doing something to get our kids to go to class. And surprisingly, but not really, guess what happened when more and more kids went to class every single day? All the grades at that school went up. 
And in the U.S., at least, the schools get bonused for their, their grades and their averages. So now you're getting kids going to school, getting better grades, the school getting more kind of benefits from, from, the, from the board. And for us, we look like, and, and why we did it, to be honest, was to be a part of what they were doing. We saw an issue and we said, how can we help fix it? That's really being part of the community is identifying what the issue is in the community and figuring out a way to, to, to do it. it. It could be that it could be, Hey, we don't have any basketball courts. Well, let's, you know, let's figure out, let's maybe sponsor a basketball. Mm-hmm. Like there's a million things you oh. could do, but that's really being part of the community is doing something that helps the people in that community. And guess what? I know the end goal, sell cars. I get that service vehicles. I get that. Yes. But what are those things that's publicity, that's marketing, that's a feeling that you can't replace. You can't get that, you know, with an ad or, you know, you know, there's nothing that can replace that. Hey, we're actually, we're actually care about the people who live around us. Well, that's being a part of the, that's being in yeah. the community, not just a part of it. Right. Um, you know, I, we kind of did something similar to where, you know, we were uh, donating for test drives. Right. Uh, there was a department uh, with within it was the actually the robotics department. They, they had to do a fundraiser so they could go to this thing in Washington, D.C. Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, OK, and they were having a hard time figuring out fundraising. Um, so it's like, OK, well, let's let's do that. So that was a fun one. But then that spawned into a bunch of other things. I went to a small school, kind of an, an old school school, right, where we actually had a mechanic class. Like this doesn't exist, I think, anymore. And I think I very suddenly ever hear this is where, you know, you'd actually learn how to change the oil on a car and how to replace a tire and how to, you know, how how to actually work on a vehicle. You know, they had a... Is that not, is that not a thing anymore? I I, I had it at my school too. I think it's pretty rare. Like you just, I just don't hear about it that often, right? So I'd, you know, the school that we started to create a relationship with, I found out that they had this program, but then the program stopped. Right, because mm-hmm. of funding and because, a bunch of other reasons too, right? Why? Well, what vehicles really would they important. work on? Well, exactly, right. Yeah. And so, so I said, you know what? Like, I want to start restart this program. Um, I have a, I have a couple extra bays that you can actually use at my dealership. Right, you can bring the students in and actually use my bays. I will provide, um, I'll provide the equipment. I'll provide the car. I'll provide whatever whatever additional expenses it is around fixing the vehicle or whatever it is. And then when you guys are done fixing the vehicle, I'll even provide the vehicle. So like, I, I, I think one year, yeah, I, gave, a, I, gave him a, yeah, I gave him a Honda Accord with like 300,000 miles yeah. on it or something like that. And with a blown engine. I said, look, you, you replace the engine. All right. It's you yours. guys, you guys can auction it off. All right. And that can be yours. Right. But it was cool because it created that relationship and that connection. And I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I'd be walking through a, 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 the, the showroom on a Saturday and I would see, you know, um, um, Amber High. Right, a T-shirt of one of the parents or something wearing as they're walking through it. I'm like, okay, like I know it because you can see the green. I knew it was easy to identify. But that's again, that's a great example of just being in the community. And I don't think we spend enough time as an industry or just even as dealerships thinking about these types of strategies. I think no, it's listen. I again, I understand it. Right, we've been on the retail side. We know the end goal is right. We've got targets to hit. We've got exactly. revenue numbers to hit, and that's important. But how can you build kind of a a base? and a sustainable way of continuing to grow. And that's how you do it is being in there. So when a new person comes into the community or, you know, when it's time for their new car, they immediately think of, Hey, I'm going to go to this place because they take care of us, right? They're not just, you know, just trying to sell us a car. They're not the typical, I hate to use that term, 
but they're not the typical kind of car guys who are just out, you know, to make a buck. Yep. And uh, that you can't, again, that that's something that if everybody did it, right, everybody would do it, but they don't. So that's a great way to distinguish yourself. Right. I remember, I remember ours, right. Because we were doing two, two promos, two promos at the same time where we're giving away a car. So of course, what did our banner become, right? Home of the free car giveaway. <laughs> where else would you go to buy a car except the person that gives you the opportunity to get it free? No, but, but you're, look, you're hundred percent right. And I just don't think that we don't make it a goal. You know what it is? Right. It's a good idea. And, and, and Tony, I hate good ideas. Uh, because if a good idea is not rooted into a, a, a goal or objective, it just kind of stays in good idea land. You know, it just kind of stays up that it never actually gets put in, in into action and it never actually then gets executed. So you just, you just circled it back to our first point, right? Well, it's a exactly. good idea to have a good process, but unless you put the process into practice, it's just a good idea. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Give some dealerships some advice on how they can, they can transaction, uh, tr- transition a good idea into a goal and objective and then deep it into, because that's what you guys did. You guys took a good idea and you actually turned it into a goal. It's going to, it's going to sound so simple. <laughs> Write it down, make a plan, right? What are the things like for us? We said, Hey, this is what we want to do. So what do we do? We went out and talked to some people and they said, here's the issue. And we just spitballed ideas. Okay. How can we fix this issue? Here's one, two, three ideas, right? All right. Which one makes the most sense? Hey, you know what always works? Giving away a car, a brand new graduate. What do they need to go to university? I need a car to drive there. Perfect. So that's what we'll do. We'll give away a car. Now, how does that work? Well, it's going to cost this much. You know, what's the ROI on this? What do we need to do, all right, to, to make this achievable? Is it, you know, add 50 bucks here or 10 bucks there, whatever it happens to be. So just literally just write down the plan, write down what it, what it looks like. And then, right, then you got to roll it out and stick to it. Just like anything else, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll equate it to something we do at the store every single day. Mm-hmm. What, what do I see still to this day? And what did I do? Every single, I don't know whether it's Friday or Saturday, what are you doing? You're sitting there with your sales team and you're doing a, like, again, everyone will have a different one. I use the six point. They're doing a six point walk around on a car. Why? Because you want them to do it a specific way. You want them to go feature, feature, benefit, feature, feature, whatever it is that your model is, yep. right? You want them to do it consistently. And how do you do that? Well, you keep showing them how to do it every week, every two weeks, again, whatever it is. Well, that's the same thing with any process. Unless you keep going back and saying, hey, this is the process, this is the process, it eventually, it may never actually become just ingrained in everyone's DNA, but the more you do it, the more you talk about it, the more you practice it, the more likely it is that it'll happen. Too many times, to your point of good ideas, even with a good process, here's the process, and you never talk about it again. Well, no, then it was just a good idea or it was just a list of things on a piece of paper. That's actually so it's a really, really good point. It's really about pushing it, right? Well, because you're, you're right, though. Once you get it to a goal, all right, for you to achieve the goal, you have to develop out processes that will get you to that goal. And if you're going to measure the effectiveness of the process and continue to develop the process, then you have to have some way of measuring each individual process. So that really then gets into operations, right? Look, I know we've talked, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today and we've covered some super cool topics. Um, I still, you know, lead management. Look, it's fun. It's 10 fucking years and we're still talking about lead management. But hey, we'll keep talking about it until it, until it actually happens, right? Just like putting pictures of your cars online. We had to talk about it for 10 years before, mm-hmm. it, before it happened across the board. We'll keep talking about that. The future of the physical dealership, man, I'm with you on this. Like, I, I just don't see the need for having hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet. All right. I think, uh, in fact, I would almost change it from showroom 
and call it more of an experience center, which some OEMs are actually heading that direction, right? Um, so I, I think that's cool. I love the fact that we got to talk about coffees and sandwiches because I'm a little hungry right now. I, don't know about I, you. I, I think I should have <laughs> ate before we actually had that conversation because I'm about to run off because I it, it, it worked. It worked. Well, it, look, it's See an how, opportunity. It's an opportunity to tell a story. Can, can I say, though, with the with the sandwiches part, I, yes. I, I, I wanted to say this and I missed it. And I think, go it's, ahead, go ahead. I think, it's, a, I think it's important. Name, name, whether it's your coffee, okay, your ABC Motors, make sure you tell them, you know, people come here for two reasons, to buy cars and to try the ABC Motors Espresso or to try the ABC Motors Turkey Sandwich. Well, why do they want the the ABC Turkey Sandwich? Because it's got 75 pickles on it and it's, you know, no one can actually finish the whole thing. Get out of here. Let me see that. Let me have one of those. Right now you bring out this massive sandwich and they they're taking the pictures, they're putting it on social media and they're like, I was at ABC motors. Yeah. I got a car, but look at this crazy sandwich. That's all you gotta do is put your name on it. That's it. And I was telling, you know, I was telling you this story earlier and this is for everyone that likes sushi. I'm going to give you the, the hidden secret that I don't normally share. So that you're, you're lucky, Jay. There we go. Anywhere in the world, in the world. And I've been a lot of places. If you go into, if you like sushi and you go to into a sushi restaurant, the first thing you order is whatever roll that they have named after the restaurant. Mm-hmm, like because it. if you're at, you know, Sayonara Sushi, guess what? They're putting the best ingredients into that because it has their name on it. It's always going to be delicious. So you do the same thing. You put your name on something that is unique and people will remember you for it. And they'll automatically give you free social advertising because they're going to talk about it. If it's something like, like I said, like 75 pickles or something, anything a little bit over the top, like you were telling me about, you know, milkshakes with cake in them. You know, I used to do milkshakes (laughs) with two Kit Kat bars sticking out of the top. Um, It's whatever it happens to be. You, you just, you make it unique, make it an experience because that's what it is, man. It's all about because it it is. I'll give one more. I know we're out of time, but I got to tell have you been to, for us, you know, for the people in the GTA, have you been to um, Sherway? Yes. Re- I want to say recently. Did you happen to go in and do the Canada Goose experience? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. So you walk in. There's this row of jackets. They're not, they don't sell anything. They will not sell you anything. Okay. They'll direct, they'll direct you to where you can buy them. But they say, okay, what size are you? What kind of thing are you looking for? Okay, I'm looking for this. Boom. You, you hood up. You open this massive kind of freezer door. And they put you into this Arctic experience. There's all this frozen snow on the ground. There's monitors all around. And it had, it looks like you're in the middle of the North pole. Oh, wow. And you sit there with your Canada goose and it's minus 42 degrees in there. And you say, wow, I don't even feel that it's cold. I got to get me one of these jackets. See, now that's it's an experience. The best man. thing ever. Me, me Actually, and you need to, worst thing if you take your kids because then they're going to walk. Gonna do, jacket, me so. and you need to go down there and shoot a video on that. That just sounds like something that we, we need to it. do. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Just hey, remember Tony. to bring me one of those espressos to warm me up after. Hundred yeah. percent. Hey, for everybody out there that's been watching or listening and would love to connect with you, Tony, and maybe continue this conversation or learn even a bit more about you, what's the best way to do so? The best way is is LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, I'm starting to do some informational kind of videos, little tips and tricks on how to be more efficient, run your dealerships a little bit better. So it's just as the name you can see down there, just look up Tony Cabritas. I'm the only one in the whole world. So you will not be confused with anyone else. Um, and just add me in, send me a message. Uh, I reply back within 24 hours and we can have a conversation and hopefully I can help. 
I'm always jealous of people that have super unique names. <laughs> right? Because like Jason Harris, just, not unique? No, there's more than one. Yeah, go ahead and Google that. Like, <laughs> you know, I imagine if I Google Google your name, I'm not gonna find a whole lot of you. Um <laughs> there there is there is a problem with it though too. You can't you can't hide. Like they know. Oh, if, that's if true. A, if it's that's a true, you can't blame it on another Jason Harris. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, you know that yeah, that yeah, that's me. I can't I can't get away and say, oh, it's another one. Yeah. <laughs> hey Tony, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a lot of fun. You have yourself an amazing day, sir. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate your time, man. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.